Welcome back for another episode of To Tea Together. Today's episode is a second episode of our series, Sustainability. Today's episode will be hosted by Roxy Ray. For those of you who may not know, Roxy and I co-run the World Tea Association. In today's episode, Roxy sits down with Wake Forest top sustainability leaders and discuss some topics in the world of sustainability, environment, and overall reflections from these leaders on what students on campus are doing and how students on campus can become more aware of sustainability concerns. Please enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Tea Show. 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 And this is Tea Tea Together. This series, Sustainability, is a segment of our podcast on Tea Tea Together. Tea Tea Together is a podcast brought to you by the World Tea Association. In the World Tea Association, we are centered around sharing ideas and culture through a cup of tea. I'm super excited um, for you guys to hear our current podcast. Um, The topic, of course, is sustainability, and we've got some of the campus's top leaders in sustainability here with us today. So I think it's good. We can just start with some introductions. Um, Sarah, you are a senior, and you have many uh, clubs that you're a part of, so I'll let you just get into all that. Yeah, sure. So, hey, I'm Sarah. Um, I'm a senior environmental science major. Um, I am the Greek Skid Green intern with the Office of Sustainability. I am the vice president of EcoDeeks. I hold a couple of different uh, or have held a couple of different internships regarding sustainability and stuff. And it's just a a really, really big part of my life. So very excited when Roxy reached out about this podcast. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. And Sarah, we had a class together, right? We were both in leadership for sustainability. So that's a, that class, by the way, for anyone interested, is a very good starting off point if you're trying to start some sort of club or be involved with the sustainability department. Highly recommend. Absolutely. Awesome. We've got two um, leaders here from the student leadership group, uh, Alyssa and Camille. If you guys want to introduce yourselves, talk a little bit about what exactly is the student leadership group, what you guys do. Um, that would be awesome. Cool, yeah. Um, I'm Camille. Um, Sorry, Alyssa. Um, I'm Camille. We're a part of the sustainability leadership group for the class of 2024. Um, And basically, it's just a group of a bunch of freshmen. um, And we represent by residence hall. And we get to coordinate events, not only on our hall scale, so on a smaller scale, but also those campus-wide events, just to raise awareness about sustainability um, and to encourage a change of action um, in regards to those issues. So for us individually, we each serve on our own committees. So for me personally, I serve on the Climate Justice Committee. Yeah, and I'm also part of this group and uh, my name's Alyssa and I am part of the clothing committee. So we are looking for ways to kind of encourage upcycling of clothing, um, educating others about fashion and um, harmful effects of the textile industry. Um, And I've just spent the year kind of coordinating alongside my other peers, both um, encouraging kind of in our immediate community, in our residence halls, just within our friend groups, um, ways to kind of promote sustainability and educate others. That's awesome. Um, I'm so glad to have you guys. I know Alyssa, we are currently working on some projects um, in the sustainable clothing department. Speaking of sustainable clothing, 
Elise, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about Wayward Fashion? Yes, so I'm Elise and I am um, founder of Wayward Fashion. Um, of course, we have a lovely team backing us, which Roxy is included in that team, as well as Virginia, um, Tatum Pike, Taylor, and Abby McCabe. Um, we are a wake fashion page highlighting sustainable fashion, um, shopping from small artists, and celebrating individualistic self-expression. Um, throughout the semester, what we are doing like student spotlights, just like highlighting cool styles we see around campus and also photo shoots that are fully sustainable with students around campus. That's awesome. I know because I'm in it, but it is awesome. Um, Sakina, please introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about what you do. Hi, my name is Sakina. I'm a junior. I'm doing a major in environmental science. Um, I'm a part of the Office of Sustainability because I'm an intern in the Campus Garden. So I just came there to from from there today. Um, we have volunteer hours once a week, um, and yeah, we're getting ready for um, Monday through Friday hours led by student volunteers starting March 15th. So we've got a lot on our plate, but it's lovely. Um, we teach a lot about regenerative agriculture. That's super exciting. That's awesome. Well, I'm so great to have, grateful to have all of you here, and I'm so excited um, to really dig into some interesting environmental discussions. Um, I wanted to start off, so Wake Forest, obviously, is the community in which all of these organizations operate. What, in your opinion, is the role of community-based collaboration in the broader idea of sustainability? So I've worked directly with some different community-based collaborative efforts, and I've done a little bit of research regarding it too. And I think that it is one of the most important elements in creating systemic change, like especially in the policy realm. Like there's a lot of historic evidence of bills getting passed or laws being implemented, but they're not grounded in that initial stakeholder collaboration. And so you have one side of the story that has become the, the dominant voice in a narrative when really you need to include all voices that are affected by any sort of legislation or, or policy or just projects in general. Um, and so definitely trying to make sure that you are engaging both sides of any anything that you're working with environmental related is super important. And I think is one of the most critical elements of creating change that's gonna last. I definitely have something to add on to that, which is um, I personally, um, SLG, the, our leadership group has kind of inspired um, me to take the initiative to inspire change in just my close circle of peers and friends right outside. And I think that the systemic change that Sarah talks about really has to start somewhere. And I've been able to transform the habits of my close circle of friends. And they, in fact, have now taken that on and are encouraging others to even simple things like reusing, using reusable water bottles rather than buying a plastic one every time they're going out. So it seems like there are different levels to community. There's your like immediate friends in which you can influence. There's maybe your school and then, you know, it moves on to your town and then eventually we get to the nation. And is that Sarah where policy comes in or is important? Or can you talk a little bit about the importance of science-based policy? I know that's a, a topic of interest for you. Yeah, absolutely. So I um, had an internship actually this past summer working with the state of Delaware doing research into science policy. And I'm now currently in an internship position doing, again, state policy and everything. And I think that grounding 
the things that you are basically requiring people to do in science is one of the most effective ways to help convince people why it's important science. I know given the circumstances of today, science may be <laughs> a little bit more debate about if it should be credible or not, but I'm a firm believer that you know science is a good thing and that we should believe it. And so if you are grounding policy decisions inside, hopefully you're gonna come up with a pretty good policy that's gonna be effective and people, you'll have that community buy-in, which is a really big factor again, and making sure that decisions um, get made that are gonna work. Sure. Anybody else have any hot takes on environmental policy? Yeah, I would really just echo what Sarah is saying about how you have to get away for people to buy in, right? Um, there is definitely an element of top-down legislation, but I don't think that's that's not to say that there can't be local legislation, there can't be um, statewide legislation that's um, equally as effective to the people who are directly affected by that legislation. Um, so starting those conversations in those close-knit communities, affecting those different levels of communities, like you touched on, Roxy, I think is just extremely imperative in getting that narrative started and getting the conversation elevated to a national level. Right. I completely agree. I think I hear a lot of people all the time that are like, oh, well, what what do I do as an individual? Does not make any difference? You know, is all this, everything is so policy-based, everything is so policy important that what I do doesn't matter. But I think you're right, Camille, it's kind of like a butterfly effect type thing. You have to start changing your habits as an individual. And then it's the people around you and it's the people around them. And then, you know, we finally make it up. But definitely, I agree with that. Who's here that are interested in sustainable clothing. And I've kind of observed that that's kind of like a hot topic right now with our generation. Um, what are some of the more like, important consumer level changes that you think we should be making or do you do you guys know of any um community projects or policies that we should be supporting so i'm not really sure of any community um services and like groups that are helping out but i know that there are simple things that you can change in like your daily routine of um like consuming clothing and stuff like that that can actually help in your consumption and usage of clothing. I know that here at Wake Forest, like Roxy, you were talking about a study that was done a couple years ago on based on the waste that is produced from students at Wake Forest throwing away clothing. Obviously this isn't as much of an issue as much this year because of Corona, but um, I do remember you saying how people would just buy outfits for like a night out or something like that and then they'd throw it out when we have a goodwill right down the street that you could just easily donate those clo that clothing item to. Reiterating the resources that you have like the goodwill down the street, the mega thrift down the street and that type of stuff within our community to get kids at Wake Forest understanding that it e is easily accessible and yes it might be easier to throw it in the trash but is it ethical and do you think that that's correct? It seems like part of it is, part of what you can do is be aware of the options that you have. Because I know Sarah in our class, we were learning about how they put out bins for people to put stuff in at the end of the year so they don't throw all away when stuff when they move out. Um, and there are oftentimes pop-up swap shops that will come up around campus. So I feel like as a campus, we have all these different resources, but it's possible that people know about them? I don't know. What do you guys think is the problem or the disconnect there? The lack of exposure or the fact that it is not a normative behavior 
to utilize those resources. Like I have noticed waste reduction boxes, it, even in, I think it was outside of the North Pit pod. Um, but I, I, I knew that this was an initiative that was going on, but even I like was surprised to see it there. And so I think touching on what I had said about normative behaviors, that it is not the norm to use those resources, even though they're right in front of you and they're very, very obvious. And I'm not quite sure why that disconnect is there. I think that would be a really interesting thing to try and figure out, you know, how do you ingrain these behaviors that are more sustainable into the way that we just live our lives? For sure. I, what Bouncing off of that, what do you think it is? Do you think it's a responsibility of leaders to create normative behaviors? Or is that something that you don't really have control of? Or is that something that you're always working towards? So that's something actually as the Greeks go green intern, that's something that I have worked with with the group in Greeks go green. The point of being in Greeks go green is to be a liaison with the broader group to your chapter and to influence behaviors within your circle. So you've got all these representatives from different organizations and the thought there is if you can change the behavioral habits of that group using a peer leader, hopefully that'll go about making the change that would encourage things like you utilizing those donation bins and everything. So I think that it requires, and we have had some success with that, but I think that it requires individuals that are passionate, that are leaders that can act as like the change agents within their circles to ultimately have a ripple effect almost and spread out from smaller groups. Going back to what we were talking about with community-based collaboration, going small with initial smaller circles and then spreading out so it becomes just a bigger normal thing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And we kind of went full circle there back to the individual groups butterfly effect thing. That's awesome. Um, what do you guys, just out of curiosity, what do you guys think are some of the, the biggest issues with Wake Forest students? Because I know we, we touched on how a lot of times there have been studies to show that people throw stuff away. Um, what, what do you see on campus that stands out to you that you see in student behavior and activity that kind of like makes your sustainability heart cringe? For me, I think it's watching people's shopping habits because I'm definitely like, I've always loved clothes and it's not until recently and especially when I got to Wake that I really understood like, honestly, if you are someone who wants to um, make a sustainable choice and maybe shop at a Goodwill, you don't need to necessarily have um, a certain fashion sense and want to be wearing the cool thrifty oversized jeans and um, thrifted tops that are cut and styled the way you like. You can go into Goodwill and find everything from that perspective all the way to just a simple brand name sweater that maybe costs $60 that you're buying for four that you're saving in a sweater from being all the um, extra materials that are wasted. And that's kind of where the fast fashion comes in when I see all my peers going to stores that are pretty well known for either not having sustainable practices or um, not hiring um, like correct labor and things like that. I think that's always really painful to see. So I've also been able to encourage others to um, maybe try going to Goodwill or checking out some places like that first before kind of that like a lot of these fast fashion companies like I know Shein and um, Zaffle and stuff like that um, they it's not only like they're using um, really horrible materials and fabrics and using like underpaid labor and staff but they're also in some of the things that they're producing are um, kind of taking 
uh, smaller artists' designs and reproducing them on a larger level and then lowering the value of that artist's work. And they're trying to make their own way and produce something that is beautifully handmade, something that they have like as a passion project. And that's no longer seen anymore. It's just kind of seen as an object for them to wear or for someone to wear. And it's no longer seen as a piece of art because of this company that came and kind of took their idea and mass produced it with cheaper materials. I never even thought about that side of it, but that's so cheery and that's so sad. Um, I think the, there's like this kind of controversy about thrifting right now on whether it's like ethical for students, perhaps in the Wake Forest demographic um, to shop secondhand and if they're taking resources from other people. And do you guys think there's an etiquette to thrifting? Like maybe you can go buy shirts, but don't buy a winter coat because some people might need a winter coat. Or is there enough clothing to go around? Have you guys... I don't know. Is, is there an etiquette to check secondhand shopping, do you think? So I have always like kind of had this um, unwritten rule of when I go thrifting, um, I can buy items, but when I come back to my closet, I have to get rid of like some of some items as well and redonate them to the Goodwill. So I kind of like see it as like a circle. Like I have some clothes that I've worn enough and that are still in good condition and that I have previously thrifted, but um, you know, kind of like a swap out even, you know, like just like to give back to the community, but also like take some new things that I think are cute as well. That's yeah. so cool. I should do that. I want to start doing that. We should all start doing that. To add on to that, I would definitely say I've only recent, recently found my way towards um, kind of becoming more involved in sustainable fashion. But um, one of my friends who runs a business where she takes items and essentially flips them and finds things of kind of good value and posts them on in an Instagram account and donates the money um, towards better causes, um, she has kind of one thing that she said was that Goodwill is overflowing a lot of times with items. And I definitely think you bring up an interesting point where they might be limited on nice quality winter coats, might be looking for like skirts, pants, um, shirts, all those kinds of things. Goodwill can often be overflowing. So sometimes by spending the money at Goodwill and um, sending these things, we can actually be doing both a favor as long as we're not obviously taking too much or taking things that might serve a stronger purpose to someone in need. I totally agree. I remember um, in the project I did for our class, Sarah, I did a project on clothing waste, which is why I'm so interested in it. But I remember learning that most uh, secondhand stores have a room in the back full of extra clothes. And some places even have to recycle the clothes that they get donated because they don't have enough room for them. So I definitely think you're right that there shouldn't be too much of a worry about a clothes desert because there's kind of a surplus. I think I, I read a statistic that 60% of clothing made in a year will be thrown away. So all this resources go into making the clothing only for most of them to be thrown away within a year. So very important um, that we've got a lot of people advocating for sustainable clothing right now. Um, 
think. Yeah, and I definitely think beyond that even is all the water and like all the material waste just that comes from producing all those clothes. The fact that once you even get that piece of clothing, there's so much waste that's happened on the way that there's a lot of conserving that could be done there. Right, right. It's like the industry is bad for the environment. It's one of the most polluting industries. And then on top of that, once we get the clothes, we just throw them away. Like, so ridiculous. Um, but again, that's why I'm so glad to have student leaders like you all working on these issues. Um, I want to kind of move on to more, I guess, not advice for other students, but just maybe some instruction for students who want to get involved. Um, what are some ways, the best ways you think individuals at Wake can start supporting environmental causes? And what is the difference between what they can do at an individual level and more on a national level, kind of what we were talking about before? I think that you, it's like what we were talking about before, like starting small, like small things that you do, like going to the grocery store and like taking your backpack instead of getting bagged groceries or um, like just not like buying water bottles, like get a reusable like Brita filter or something like that. You could just go and fill out the water fountain. Just so like small things, like not also not like using paper towels, stuff like that, like have a reusable cloth that you can use to clean up things. It's just small things that make all the difference in the long run. And I sometimes like look at my friends and like um, that are less sustainable and I'm like, wow, I didn't even like, I've gotten so used to using like a reusable cloth or doing this and like taking my back back to the back back to the grocery store and stuff like that that I almost like I, I look at them and I'm like hard anymore because at first it's like you kind of think oh that's so much more work but once you get it into a routine like it's part of your way of living it's not as hard anymore when you're in that sort of situation this is a question for everyone um, where you see a friend that's kind of or, or a peer that's not really doing the most sustainable behavior, um, how do you usually approach that? Is there a better or worse way to friendly, to advocate in a friendly way? Or like, is it a problem where if you were, you'll shame someone, they'll turn away from the cause or how do you deal with that sort of thing? I think it's a little bit of like pick and choose your battles. Like sometimes I'll have friends that'll like go to the grocery store and they'll put a, or we'll all go to the grocery store and they'll put a thing of re or not reusable single use plastic water bottles in the car. And I'll be like, what, what are those doing here? You know, <laughs> something then, but then if it's like, if they are buying way more food than I know that they're going to eat, I, that's probably something that I might not say like, Hey guys, that's just going to go to food waste. But like, mm -hmm. it, it's really just sort of picking and choosing. I think what you can gently nudge them in the right direction for and where it becomes, like you said, if you say something, it'll just push them in the wrong direction. Yeah, yeah I definitely think I've um, inspired some of my friends. We pulled into a gas station once and my, I told my friend, I was like, your car is such a mess. And she had all these plastic water bottles from a couple road trips that she had done sitting all throughout her car. And we collected all of them and she was trying to find a recycling bin at this gas station and there wasn't one. And she was like, I'm just gonna throw them away because she wanted to at least like get them out of her car. And I was like, no, like I will take them. I had an extra bag um, from the grocery store and I took them back to Wake all the way up to my dorm and recycled them for her. 
And just her seeing that and seeing like the tiny little bit of effort I put in and she kind of didn't even think about it. She's just like, oh, it's more convenient to throw them away. But I think seeing others kind of like following through with these kinds of behaviors, I think it's inspired her a little bit and she's a bit more conscious about it. And another thing that I did is I'm very big on plastic conservation. So when my friends and I, we all went to the supermarket together, um, I noticed that none of them had reusable bags and none of them even had anything in their dorm room that they could take with them. So I went on Amazon and for $10, I think I got a set of like six reusable bags and I was able to give them to all of my friends and they're still using them. So I think like that little investment of like energy and time to just kind of encourage people and like inspire people with your own behaviors can be really valuable. Yeah. yeah I like how you disguised it as like a, a nice little gift to encourage and that's definitely a good strategy. Sorry, Camille, what were you saying? Sorry, I was just gonna say that I definitely resonate with um, Alyssa's comment about like inspiring there to be like effort put in um, just because I think like she was saying, a lot of people do things out of convenience. I think that there is definitely benefit to presenting a more sustainable option as like a desirable option as an option that's going to be mutually beneficial um like Alyssa was saying like presenting it as a fun gift like it's something new and exciting um and also just like we talked about this earlier but there has to be a level of awareness and there has to be a level of education in order for people to get on board um Sarah touched on this when she was talking about science and environmental science and how important it is that people use this when they're implementing policy even just on an individual level if someone knows um, the effects that the textile industry has. If someone knows the effects of excess plastic, they're going to be more impassioned and more spurred to actually put in that effort. Um, for example, this love my roommate, not to throw her under the bus, but she and I just have a disparity in like our sustainable practices. Had a bunch of extra clothes. She went through her closet and she was like, I'm just going to throw them away. A waste, these clothing waste bins where they're collecting clothing waste in Benson. And just the instant response is like, you want me to walk to Benson with my clothes and put them there? Because it's like, well, that, why would I do that when I can walk across the hall to the trash room and just throw them away? And then it creates an opportunity for you to sit down and have this conversation where it's like, well, yes, I understand why that's easier, but here, like, let's talk about why it's not as beneficial. And let's talk about how this is affecting things in the long run. I think using those disparities as an opportunity rather than like a fear mongering tactic or rather than an opportunity to kind of latch on and not attack someone, but latch on and to like make them know, um, I think is a really valuable strategy. I think it's also valuable that you brought up part of being a leader is being an educator and a teacher. Um, and definitely from my experience, it's been more helpful rather than shame someone for their practice to explain to someone what they're doing because you know, nobody here is evil. Nobody here is just hates the earth. Um, it's more likely that they just haven't had the opportunity to learn this information yet. And it's kind of exciting. We get to be the ones to help them with that. So definitely a very good point. Let's go Crawford. I myself am a novice of the field of sustainability. But I have a few friends that go to Goodwill, like you were talking about, and like an artist so he like paints stuff on it and then returns it to goodwill after like a week or so and he he loves um goodwill and and it kind of that's how i started uh donating my clothes to goodwill and i think it's more about like the lack of knowledge that people have rather than that they hate the world 
I'm a, I, I didn't know about the Benson, like the clothes thing in Benson. I did not know about that. Uh, I, I usually just drop them off at the Goodwill near campus. But um, yeah, I think one of the main points is like, how about like the domino effect about you start with yourself and then it kind of dominoes to other people as well and they see what you're doing so they can like replicate it. I know that my I kind of hold my friends accountable just because whenever I go to the grocery store with them like that domino effect has kind of occurred and like they know if I'm going with them they will definitely remember their bags because they yeah. just kind of associate <laughs> that with me so it's a nice like reminder to get there. Yeah it's kind of like proof in the pudding of everything that we've been talking about. Um, and it, it's not even like he had to sit down and tell you to donate to Goodwill. You were just inspired by him, which I think is so cool. And you're definitely right. You know, nobody just hates the world or is evil. Sometimes it just takes some student leaders like us to set an example for everybody. I just want to add quickly that like Crawford and the roommate of Camille, everyone just needs to be a little bit like patient with themselves because the issue with these normative behaviors is like, it's not just something that we can fix really easily. They're super ingrained in everything. It's like a systemic issue. And so we're having, you know, to combat our own, like our own teachings and being able to train ourselves to react differently. And that's just being patient with ourselves and with everyone else. And it is a hard process but it's because like everything is going against us and things are slowly shifting um, state policies, um, university policies and everything's smaller, but it's just, it's a long road. Um, and it's good that we're talking about it. Yeah. And I think that changing societal norms is not like something you do overnight. So it's, it's going to be, it's a long process, but it doesn't mean that like, it's not, it's not worth the fight. You know? Definitely. I'm really glad you brought that up, Sakina. Um, I definitely totally agree that it's important to realize we're born into a world in which being sustainable is not the default. You have to go out of your way to learn about sustainability, to get involved with sustainability. Um, so you can't super blame someone for being stuck in the default or not even being stuck, but you know what I mean. Um, but I'm really glad you brought that up. It's, it's important, I think, not to overly shame people. So thank you everybody so much. Uh, that was so fun. I hope you all enjoyed listening to our student leaders and please um, look for more information about these various clubs. We're gonna be posting them on our Instagram. Yeah, thank you. Look forward to more podcasts.